Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel. It's NFL playoff time, and there's no better place to get into the action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. When you win, you'll get paid fast. FanDuel has a lot of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, so much more. Jump into the action anytime during the game with live betting. Combine multiple bets in the same game in a same-game parlay and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. And now, FanDuel is live in Ohio, so people in Ohio Get in on the action immediately. Use the promo code BOXING. That's how they know I'll send you. And download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Welcome back to another Boxing with Chris Mannix. As always, you can listen to the show live on the AMP app. Just follow Chris Mannix on AMP. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right. Keith Eidek is my guest this week. Boxing scene, boxingscene.com, IDEC Boxing on Twitter, friend of the podcast. And Keith, what a week we have here. We have some news on Ryan Garcia to discuss. We have one of boxing's most popular young fighters, now a free agent. You've got Connor Ben talking like a man on the comeback trail and a potential mega fight that could happen this spring over in Asia. But Keith, you know what we have to start with. The real story this week. 
It's Stavern Gidry Fight Week, baby. We are back. Heavyweight boxing is back, and Don King is bringing it to us back in Florida with a heavyweight showdown headlined by Jonathan Gidry, former heavyweight title holder, Bermain Stavern. Keith, are you giddy for Gidry? And it's only 20 bucks, Chris. Only $20. What a, what a, while the Giants and Eagles are playing on Saturday night, I mean, don't you just feel tempted to plunk down 20 bucks to watch boxers that no one cares about? Can I, can I just, what's your sense of what Don King is doing? Like, he keeps doing these small pay-per-views, which have to be financial disasters. I mean, this is a guy that, for decades, put on some of the biggest events in boxing history. I mean, what gives here? It is odd. I don't really know why he remains in boxing in any capacity. He doesn't certainly doesn't need the money, and he's not making any money off of these fights. At least the last time he did one of these, Chris, at least it was Trevor Bryan who had a, a ridiculous title that should not exist, but it was technically it was a heavyweight title, and he fought Daniel Dubois. So that's one thing. What they're doing Saturday night, I don't quite understand other than keeping their fighters active that he has under contract, but uh, putting these fights on pay-per-view is just, I'd really like to have the heads examined of anyone who pays $20. Look, if someone in your family is fighting, okay, I'll give you a pass for paying 20 bucks to watch that. Otherwise, I don't don't get it, you know, because it only encourages him to do more more of this. I mean, the last one with, you know, Daniel Dubois and Trevor Bryan, they had to pay real money to to Daniel Dubois for that and he, fight. And, he, and, and to he, Trevor Bryan. And he didn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, you know, theoretically, like, I guess he did. He finally make good on that. Wasn't that the latest that he did? I believe so. But it, but I just remember him trying to say that Frank Warren owed him money from like. Yeah, yeah that was kind of shady. What does it have to do with shady. Daniel Dubois? You know, nothing. Him getting He's basically saying Frank Warren owes me money, so yeah. get the rest of your your pay from Frank, which is a pretty shitty thing to do to a fighter. Yeah. I just like, I mean, these are seven figure purses that are theoretically being paid and I don't know where the money's coming from. It just feels like, you know, he's just digging deep into whatever personal wealth he has left and, and <laughs> putting it into these horrible shows, which I can't imagine more than a couple hundred people at most are, are watching. So it's happening this weekend. So if you're up for a little boxing, Gidry Stavern on pay-per-view yeah. um real quick keith off the top by now everybody knows what's happening with francis naganu in the ufc the former ufc champion is now a free agent and could be looking to get into boxing keith i get into this more with daniel dubois or daniel cormier got daniel dubois in my brain daniel cormier later in the show but are, are you anticipating seeing francis naganu in a boxing ring later this year it certainly seems like that's what he wants right chris because he was as far as I know, he was offered a substantial sum of money to remain with UFC with, you know, as part of a long-term contract, more than they pay generally. I think it was $8 million per fight or something like that. I read. Um, So he really wanted to break away from UFC. He really wants to try boxing. These crossover fights uh, have done well when it was, of course, when it was Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, those are two huge stars. Uh, I don't know. You know, Francis Ngannou is obviously a big star in, in UFC, but I don't know how easy it would be for him to fight the types of heavyweights in boxing that he wants to fight. It's certainly Tyson Fury, but is Tyson Fury going to take a risk against a guy who's not a boxer? I'm not saying it's a huge risk because he's a much better boxer, but the one thing that I've always heard about Ngannou, and I don't follow UFC very closely, Chris, but he's a huge puncher. So 
even if it were an exhibition, are you going to get in the ring with a guy like that and risk everything that you've worked for your whole life? When, if you're, let's just use Tyson Fury as an example, he's making enormous amounts of money to fight real boxers and fights that might be less dangerous. The Dillian White fight is a perfect example. He made his purse, his official purse, with $32 million. Is he going to make more than that to fight Francis and God? I don't know. Uh, who's putting up that? Well, I guess the I guess the difference of opinion that we have on this, Keith, is I, I think Francis Ngannou is zero threat to Tyson Fury. I mean, if Tyson Fury can go whoever number of rounds, 30-plus rounds with Deontay Wilder, he's not going to have a problem with Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou, big MMA puncher. I'll mm -hmm. give him that. But I, I've watched some of his stuff. He gasses out you know, after a couple right. of rounds. You know, he's wild with his shots. I mean, Fury toys with him in my opinion that that's that to me feels inevitable like if fury can beat Usyk in the spring summertime in the uk francis Ngannou sell out wembley stadium make a boatload of money and have an easy night's work well who's putting up the money and why oh the saudi arabian government is a uh, coming round <laughs> that guy's, i guess but i don't saying know, there's, I'm not saying there would I, be I interest in it chris there would be but i but it, you're talking about my guess is Francis Ngannou is, is not doing this because he wants to make around the same amount of money he could have made to stay in UFC. He wants to make much more. So Yeah, but like I, I think there is that money there. I think whatever gate you get at a Wembley plus pay-per-view plus international rights, like that you there's probably ten million in for Francis Ngannou and thirty million in for Tyson Fury and and Tyson Fury is not going to get touched in a situation like he's just not. Like we we've seen this too many times with UFC guys. And yeah, you know, you can give him the proverbial puncher's chance, but I think he has even less of a puncher's chance than some boxing punchers, if that makes any sense. I, no, just, I, uh, I just don't see it. So I, yeah. I, I do think it's inevitable. I think I think Fury wants it, Ngannou wants it, and I think come summertime we're going to see those two in a boxing ring probably uh, over in the U.K. Um, all right, so the real news this week, the big news in boxing, is that Golden Boy uh, has finally received a contract for Ryan Garcia to fight Gervonta Davis. There was some anxiety, Keith, last week after Golden Boy didn't get a contract. You had Oscar De La Hoya publicly threatening to move on if he didn't get one by Monday. Kind of an empty threat there. But it eventually came in uh, on Tuesday. And I was told the contract looks pretty good. They're going to go back to PBC with some edits. But there's no reason to believe this contract uh, isn't in line with what Golden Boy uh, was expecting. We already know most of the terms, including financial and the network arrangement, have been agreed to. Uh, Keith, are we all systems go now for Garcia Tank on April 15th? I don't know about the April 15th part, and I've said that all along just because he has this trial coming up next month. I think they will fight. Uh, the, both fighters, to their credit, completely committed to the fight. They've pushed for it throughout this entire process. They want the fight, which is great. Um, so we will see the fight. I just, I can't say with any certainty, and I don't know how anyone could, Chris, at this point, that they're fighting April 15th or May, whatever, because you don't, you don't know what kind of punishment Javante Davis is going to come away from this trial with. So until you know that, until you know whether he has to do some home confinement or some actual jail time and how that will impact his training camp and when he's able to train properly for the fight, how could we know when the fight will be? So you just have to, I understand everyone's impatient and they want to know right away and blah, blah, blah. The trial is supposed to start February 15th. It's not supposed to be all that long of a trial. So maybe by February 18th or whenever, uh, we'll know. And we'll know what he can do and when he can do it. I think 
the next fight for Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis will be fighting each other. Where is still, uh, when is still to be determined. Yeah. And to, to clarify the, the trial situation, a, a judge has already rejected a plea deal that would have uh, afforded Javante Davis, no jail time, some home confinement, I believe were in the original plea terms, but the judge rejected it in large part because uh, this judge did not believe it was significant enough. So that gives you some reason for pause, as you point out, that April 15th could be uh, a movable date. Um, let, let me ask you two questions, though, about... about well, let, let me stick with the schedule there for a second. This PPC schedule, I'm not quite wrapping my head around yet. We both know that promoters do not want to do, and oftentimes refuse to do, pay-per-views in the same month, right? Because you want to get in that a different cable billing cycle, and you want to space things out a little bit to, to give yourself a best chance at maximum revenue. Um, we know we've got Benavidez plant. That's a pay-per-view on March 25th. You've got Spence tweeting out he's going to go in April, although I've been told that Spence could get bumped to May if Davis Garcia goes uh, in mid-April. I still don't know what's happening with Deontay Wilder. Is he going to fight Andy Ruiz? Is he going to fight somebody else? It just seems like PBC right now has a lot of pay-per-view level shows, or at least what they deem pay-per-view level shows, bunched into that you know, couple of months, few months on the calendar. How do you think all that kind of shakes out? There probably will be four of them, as you just mentioned, Chris, because if Wilder fights Ruiz, uh, there will be four pay-per-views, perhaps over a four-month span, which no one wants to hear, obviously, but uh, that's the way it's going to shake out, just because just because of circumstance, right? You know, Spence and Thurman were supposed to have fought, you know, they would have fought next month if everything went according to the plan. Um, so yeah, that, that, but everything is, uh, these are all movable parts now because we don't really know what's going on with Trevante Davis. Right. So yeah, Spence could fight in May. Spence could fight in April. Who knows? We don't, we don't know that yet. You know? And look, the way it goes with Spence, I don't know, something else could happen where he, where it gets pushed back again. I mean, between contract negotiations and car accidents and Detached retinas. I mean, it, a lot of this is bad luck, unfortunately, for Errol Spence, but it always seems to be something. So, you know, I, but I do think we'll get, you know, probably four paper PBC pay per view fights within, say, a four to five month span, which is not ideal, uh, but that's probably the way it's going to shake out. So you hear all the time, and, and it's something I agree with, that Tank versus Ryan Garcia is the most marketable fight that you can make in U.S. boxing. More marketable than Spence Thurman, maybe even more marketable than Spence Crawford, certainly more marketable than some of the other pay-per-views that PBC is looking to do in the next few months. I find myself wondering, Keith, what that means at this point. Um, I don't know what the tank Hector Luis Garcia fight did. There have been some numbers floated out there on the internet that are relatively low. Usually, if it, excuse me, if it does well, you see some attempts to leak some numbers out there about, that are pretty good. Um, but as you kind of look ahead to, to Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, do you think that's the kind of fight that breaks through kind of all the piracy that breaks through, um, you know, kind of the, the, the numbness people have at this point to buying pay-per-views? Like, is that a fight that, that breaks through all that? I think as it relates to piracy, Chris, the people who are pirating these streams, they're going to do it no matter what the fight is because they yeah. pay for it. Or they can't pay, whatever the case. I mean, they're going to find a way to get it for free. 
which is unfortunate and ravages the business, but that's the way it is. And, and in some, if you're doing a pay-per-view every other, you know, every four weeks, well, that's asking a lot of people to pay somewhere between 70 and $85 every four weeks. You're not building boxing pay-per-views into your budget if you have a family and, you know, or, or whatever your expenses are. So, uh, but piracy is a huge problem. Um, so no, I, I think it'll do a higher buy rate because there's much more interest not only within the boxing sphere, but also outside of boxing. So it'll, it'll do a, a good number, I believe, but uh, probably a higher number based on their fan bases, probably a higher number than Spence Crawford, if that fight ever comes together, as we discussed on the podcast before. But um, but, but it's going to draw a lot of attention because people are, are excited about this fight um, and have wanted to see it for a long time. And credit again to both guys for making sure that the fight happened and not allowing all of the nonsense that tends to get in the way uh, from allowing big fights to happen. Yeah, I do think you're going to have a lot of the fans that either buy a pay-per-view or don't buy Crawford or Spence. Uh, sorry, you're all over the place. Tank versus Ryan. I, I think you'll have the buyers that wouldn't necessarily pirate it, go out and get it, the more casual fans that have an interest in that fight, which will increase the buy rate. I, I just don't know what that number is going to look like. I don't know what they're anticipating for a fight like that. Is it north of 300,000? I would assume so. Uh, is it 500,000? That's pretty high. Anything over 500,000, you'd have to be ecstatic about. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they deem uh, successful with something like that based on what they're paying uh, these two guys. But, you know, pay-per-view is an interesting place right now, I think, where, you know, piracy ain't going away. And it doesn't seem like boxing has found a solution to – to stop it, you know, it, it, they've tried, but it hasn't really worked out. Uh, so we'll see what happens with uh, with that one. Um, so we did have some surprising news this week, Keith. Edgar Berlanga, the undefeated super middleweight contender, he has parted ways with top rank. Uh, some of the shine, of course, has come off Berlanga. He had a whole bunch of first-round knockouts early in his career. Uh, he's won all his fights since that knockout streak ended, but he was knocked down in one of them in his last fight against Roma Rangulo. He bit him, which led to a multi-month suspension. Um, but Berlanga is a proven ticket seller, and guys like that are not usually released uh, by their promoters. So, Keith, let's start here. What's your understanding of what happened with Edgar Berlanga and Top Rank? Well, ultimately, they just couldn't come to an understanding or an agreement, Chris, on what he should be paid, uh, the types of fights that he should be in in 2023, whether he should be in main events or co-features, and that was viewed from their standpoint as a step backward because he has headlined ESPN shows at the theater and they were trying to build toward him. I don't know about selling out Madison square garden, but being able to do a substantial gate at Madison's the big room at Madison square garden. And this went on for several months. Uh, he was suspended for six months. As you well know, Chris, he, you know, he tried to bite uh, on his shoulder in his last fight. So he couldn't fight for, from, basically mid-June until mid-December anyway. So uh, during that time, they had a couple of face-to-face -face meetings uh, in which Berlanga was involved. Uh, his manager, Keith Connolly, was there. Uh, his, his dad, and he's a trainer, uh, also there. Um, and, you know, and the top-ranked brass was there. And there were times when it looked like they were going to figure it out. And then there were times when they were at odds and they, and they were not going to figure it out. And ultimately, he was able to buy himself out of the contract. Uh, he felt uh, his team, him and his team kind of felt like 
top rank didn't believe in him. Um, you could argue on the flip side that he hadn't given them much reason to believe in, in him being more than what he is now based on the way he performed against Alexis Angulo and Steve Rolls. He won those fights. I mean, there was no two ways about that. It was just the way he looked. And then how would you step him up from there uh, that they really couldn't come to an agreement on? And frankly, they wanted him to fight Jesse Hart three times. Mm. And that name kept coming up. Now, I, Jesse Hart's a, a solid fighter uh, who's done well in his career. He, he was very competitive in those two super middleweight title, title fights against Gilberto Ramirez. Uh, he's, not, he's not an elite-level fighter, and there was a refusal on the side of Berlanga to fight him. So it was frustrating for top rank uh, because they felt like if you're not going to fight Jesse Hart and prove yourself against a guy who, frankly, is a – back end of that he's not even in that you know he's fought at light heavyweight and everything and now he would move back down to 168 for that fight but if you're not going to fight jesse hart and you're utterly refusing to do that well you're you're going to disagree you know so i i don't but i see it from berlanga's standpoint you know he is a ticket seller he's a commodity um but some of the shine has come off him since he's gone the distance in these last four fights and hasn't looked particularly great. He got knocked down in the fight against Coceres on the uh, Wilder Fury undercard. Uh, he did he did fight through a torn biceps for seven rounds of that fight. So I you kind of, well, you know, that that's tough. He was able to do that. It was a flash knockdown. He got up. He won the fight convincingly. But, you know, they just didn't see the type of progress in him that they had hoped to see. And frankly, they did not want to pay him the type of money that he was, uh, that he thought he should command based on his popularity and, and his uh, ability to sell tickets. And they decided to go their separate ways. The Jesse Hart thing was strange. I, I mean, I, I had people, as, as I'm sure you did from Berlanga's team, calling to say it's not about Jesse Hart. He would have fought Jesse Hart. But, you know, I, I've heard the same things you have, that Top Rank has repeatedly tried to make a fight between Berlanga and Jesse Hart, and it hasn't come together for whatever reason. Uh, you know, and, and on paper, doesn't that fight make a lot of sense? Like, you know, Jesse Hart, if he can make 168, I have some skepticism of that. But if Jesse Hart could make 168 again and, and be there for that fight, that's a good next step type of fight. A former world title challenger who's a known commodity because of the fights he had with Gilberto Ramirez, because of the fight he had with Joe Smith. Didn't win any of those fights, but, you know, was competitive and at least in the two Ramirez fights and um, wound up uh, on, you know, nationally televised kind of platforms it just do you think it was the money for that or they just don't believe he's he's ready or he can can win that kind of fight yeah but, but again if you're if you don't believe that he can win against jesse yeah. at this point in jesse hart's career well you're going to come to an impasse because that's a type of guy that he should be you know and they wouldn't fight him so i know berlanga has said that he would fight him and you know the fighters always for the most part, the fighters aren't uh, shying away from challenges. I'm sure he feels like he could beat Jesse Hart, but from a business standpoint, they wouldn't do it. Um, and again, they just decided that they wanted different things and they wanted to go about the rest of his career in the foreseeable future in, in different ways. Um, and he was able to buy himself out of the contract. So uh, he'll have some options because there are a lot of super middleweights with PBC 
or less super middleweights with Eddie Hearn, but Keith Connolly, uh, Berlanga's manager, has a good working relationship with Eddie Hearn, also has a good working relationship with Al Heyman, so he'll have some options. But eventually, you're going to have to fight somebody eventually, you know? And, and, and Angulo was a big puncher, but, you know, was dominated by David Benavidez. Um, you know, he's going to have to he's, – he's ranked fourth by, I think, three of the four major sanctioning organizations. So he's a highly ranked fighter and everything. But, look, if he goes and, and signs with PBC, Chris, you put him in the ring with, the, with Plant, Benavidez, uh, David Morrell, Charlo, if he moved up, I don't see him winning any of those fights. Do you? No, I think he'd be an underdog based on what I've seen uh, of his last few fights. Um, you know, and, and that kind of brings me to to the next point. And, and you kind of touched on the options there. There is PBC. There is Matchroom. Keith Conley, his manager, is steering the ship now. I think Golden Boy's kind of a dark horse in all this. And maybe you can do this via Matchroom as well. But, you know... I, I, I'm sure there'd be strong interest in Jaime Munguia versus Edgar Berlanga. Like, and we're going to get to Jaime Munguia later in the show, but, um, you know, Munguia Berlanga is a potential fun fight. And if you're Berlanga, you know, I, I think you'd probably take that because there's probably considerable money in that fight. And you, you should feel you can be competitive against Munguia, who has not been tested either at this point. And a smaller guy moving up, you know, he's not, yeah. Berlanga's a big guy. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, why not, right? I mean, ultimately, yeah. he wants to fight Canelo. Now, no one would tell you with a straight face that they think Edgar Belanga will beat Canelo Alvarez, but he's a marketable guy. He's popular. Um, now, now, he's not Miguel Cotto popular. You know, he he's developing a fan base, and he is very he has a big social media presence and all that. And people have reacted. You know, entertainers and athletes have have responded to him knocking people out. Doesn't knock people out anymore, exactly. But but he is popular, and he's a real confident kid. And the Puerto Rican fans have responded to him. Look, if Canelo were looking for a fight where he would be heavily favored to win, beyond John Ryder, um, Berlanga would be someone that he would be heavily favored to beat. And he's undefeated, and he's ranked fourth by three of the four sanctioning organizations. So I, I'm not saying that fight should happen. I'm just saying that if Canelo were looking to come back from wrist surgery against someone that he would be heavily favored to beat and is undefeated and all the things that I just said, well, Berlanga would be that type of guy, whatever that's worth. I, I, I hope not. I don't think no, I, again, I, yeah, I'm not that's saying that we should want it. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the end of Berlanga's career uh, at that point. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting possibility if he ever aligned himself with Matchroom. I do think, and, and you've probably heard the exact same things. I think it feels like John Ryder somewhere overseas uh, in May is like the most likely option at this point for, for Canelo uh, might be in the UK. I think the middle East has, has a presence there and it seems like we're trending at least in, uh, can I just, in that direction. Chris, can I just say something? What is this? I, I don't, I'm not directing this at you. I understand why Eddie Hearn wants him to fight John Ryder because he has John Ryder. Who cares about Canelo Alvarez fighting John Ryder? Nobody. Put it on the moon. Who, who cares? <laughs> I think it's, the, it's it's where you can get the most money, frankly. I mean, I think if you go to the Middle East, you can take some of that Abu Dhabi money that Eddie is pocketing in 2023 and put that towards it. In the UK, maybe, you know, first time there, you can make some money as an attraction. I, I just, I think in the US, it's a tough sell, especially with the money Canelo commands every single fight. It's a very, very, it's a, 
probably the toughest sell he's had since like Rocky Fielding. Maybe even tougher given that he's you know, coming off kind of a lackluster 2022. Yeah, I mean, John Ryder's British, but he's not a star. Yeah. He is from England. Uh, okay. <laughs> if the fight's going to be in England, uh, uh, fine. But this this has been going on for a couple of years now that he's going to fight John Ryder. He's going to fight John Ryder. Who cares? John, John Ryder. John Ryder, you remember at the Saunders fight where John Ryder was there in case Billy Joe Saunders like up and left? Like he was the backup for Billy Joe Saunders yeah. a couple of years ago when uh, Canelo was going to fight Saunders. That was mostly because in case Billy Joe just went crazy and left, they're going to plug John Ryder. So John Ryder is just kind of hanging around the hotel the entire week. Just kinda, he he wasn't even fighting. Like he wasn't given like a fight yeah, yeah. to to take. He was just there in yeah. case Billy Joe went off the grid for whatever reason. And I don't have anything against John Ryder. Praise. He seems like a nice guy, and he you know he's won a couple of fights, and I, you know the Jacobs fight was a close. It's not anything, but. But this insistence on him fighting John Ryder at some point is baffling. <laughs> we talk about mandatory, right? Canelo's got to do his mandatories. Otherwise, these sanctioning bodies are going to strip him. Keith, they're going to strip him. Who cares they're going to take about, that belt away. It's about any of that. He's Canelo Alvarez. I'm, I'm being facetious. Oh, no, I know you. But, uh, but fight whoever you want. You're Canelo. You are still the cash cow in boxing. Yeah. You want. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about Gennady Golovkin. Speaking of Canelo, Triple G has not fought since losing that decision to Canelo in September. Uh, we know he wasn't thinking about retiring after that fight. He was quick to tell me that, uh, in the ring. He is still, of course, the unified middleweight champion, but Keith, we haven't heard much from his camp in the last couple of months. What do we know right now about the future of Triple G? I know he's going to continue fighting, like you said, Chris, but I think it's going to be difficult for him to command the type of money that he's, that he, you know, I know he didn't quite make as much as he had hoped in his deal with the zone or that he felt he was owed, but he made a lot of money and and it's going to be hard to get another broadcast partner to pay him that type of money when he's 40 going on 41 um, and coming off of what was a decisive defeat to uh, Canelo Alvarez in his last fight. Um so I don't know. It's it's tricky because he does have the middleweight, you know, three middleweight titles, I guess. But, um, you know, it's going to be hard for him to command the type of money that he wants. And that's why we haven't heard much since the, since the Canelo fight, which is, I guess, uh, four months ago now. Um, so I don't know what he does. I, I You know, it, it certainly doesn't seem possible for him to go back to the zone based on the way their, their relationship ended, you know, and some of the things that he said. Certainly doesn't seem interested in that, but maybe if he finds that he doesn't uh, have the type of interest that he thought he would, maybe he would go back to the zone. But then he's going to have to fight some of the people that, for whatever reason, did not want to fight him or he didn't want to fight. Well, Andre's gone, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but much to your dismay, Andre is gone. But uh, um, so I don't know. I, it's a great question, but you know, does. There are appealing middleweight fights for him, but will he be paid what he wants to be paid for those types of fights? Yeah, and at some point, his mandatories are going to come due, right? He's got an IBF mandatory, and that's one of the few sanctioning bodies that presumably will enforce it. The WBA yes. uh, belt, I mean, I guess at some point, they're going to call for him to fight Aris Landy Lara uh, for that title. Uh, neither of those fights are going to generate any kind of purse of significance for Golovkin. Like those are very, very, uh, I mean, not bad fights like in the ring necessarily, but they're not 
revenue drivers. It's going to be a tough sell on a pay-per-view or any other platform to do those fights. To me, Keith, like, I think he's got to find a way to get in the ring with Munguia to bring Munguia back into this conversation. I know that Golden Boy has reached out to Golovkin's team. Right now, there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest, and I can't quite figure out why. Because, like, to me, it's kind of coin flippy with Munguia and Golovkin at this point. But it's not like Munguia is like this world beater. Like he's available to be hit. And if Golovkin can still hit, he has a chance to have success in a fight like that. It, it would be a fight I know DeZone would be extremely interested in putting on, uh, either on the platform or on pay-per-view. And it would probably generate the highest payday for Gennady at this time. Unless, I mean, unless there's a deal with PBC for Jamal Charlo, I haven't heard much about that that generates more. I just, and I don't know why Golovkin would want that fight over a Munguia fight at this point. doesn't really register with me there. So I guess for me, I, I just don't know why he's not running towards a Munguia fight. Maybe it's his issues with the zone. Maybe it's his issues. I don't know, dealing with matchroom in the past, though matchroom wouldn't necessarily have to be involved with Munguia, but that that's a fight that doesn't just, that just make a lot of sense for, for Gennady Golovkin at this stage. It does, and, uh, and uh, you know, six years after it was supposed to happen, and and Bob Bennett put the kibosh. It is a story. We're, There's we're the story still, right we're there. Still talking about it, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but look, I, I I'll be happy if Jaime Munguia fights anyone who will put up some resistance in 2023. Let's just whether it's Golovkin or someone else. Um, did you see? Did you see this? You know. Eric Gomez over at Golden Boy uh, put out there that Munguia and Fernando Beltran are interested in fighting Dimitri Bivol. I called some guys in Bivol's team, and let's just say they were very enthusiastic about the idea of fighting Jaime Munguia. I think they would go to his backyard in Mexico to fight Jaime Munguia. Dimitri Bivol has no problems fighting Jaime Munguia. I found that a bit interesting that uh, for some reason Munguia is expressing interest in a Bivol fight. I mean, the guy doesn't want to fight anyone, and now he wants to he, he wants to move up. I guess, kind of, sort of two weight classes, weight classes yeah, yeah. to to fight a guy who beat Canelo Alvarez. Come on, stop it! <laughs> I, I, I really, I mean, Chris, that's who he wants to fight. Seriously, the guy who the guy who won nine rounds against Canelo. We're supposed to believe that? No, no, I I don't. I'm just saying that. Uh... Bevo's team is very, very interested. If that's for real, <laughs> they, they would. would they have, you, wouldn't you be? Yes, yeah. yes, I would. They made it clear to me they have not booked any fights for the first half of uh, 2023 yet. And if Jaime Munguia is for real, they're in. Well, who else does Munguia want to fight? Does he want to fight Better Beaver if he beats Yard next week? I mean, <laughs> Fury. Poor, I don't know. Poor Anthony Yard. I don't even want to talk about Anthony Yard this week, but I, I already feel. Sympathy for Anthony Yard. Uh, it's not what's gonna, probably going to happen. Not going to go well for him. In that fight. Um, uh, that fight over in the UK, and I want to talk about something else over in the UK for a minute. Connor Ben, uh, who has become a boxing pariah after flunking a pair of drug tests in advance of the fight against Chris Eubank Jr. He is apparently ready to move on. Uh, ben has been active on social media lately, posting training videos, teasing a return, on Instagram this week, he wrote, thank God for science without really providing any scientific evidence that anything about his positive tests for a female fertility drug is really anything but an attempt to get away with a performance enhancer. He's not really fooling anyone, Keith, including Eubank, who had this to say about Ben this week. 
he's just, you know, he's, he's just pissing people off at this point. You know, it's like, you know, the science, thank God for science, and I'm innocent, and I can't wait to show it. Just shut up until you actually have some solid, real things to show people and tell people. You know, all this cryptic bullshit is, uh, you know, it's just annoying people, especially me. Um, you know, there, no science is going to save him. No science is going to get the fans that he's lost back on his side. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever he's got planned and whatever excuses he's got made up, it's too late. All right, so Keith, what, what do you make of Connor Ben's declaration that he has been vindicated? Well, he's been saying for more than a month now that he has, quote unquote, proven his innocence. To whom? Uh, how? <laughs> just, he just keeps saying it, so he's just speaking it into existence? I don't know. <laughs> but, like, no one believes this until we get some, some you know, concrete information from, from VADA or the British Boxing Board of Control or someone in some position of authority. Yeah, let him say whatever he wants. Who cares? But uh, this, is, this is not going away. And him continuing to say that he has proven his innocence, and this is all behind him now, is I don't I don't know what he's trying to do, but it's not working. So, and no one believes him. It is pretty <laughs> wild. I mean, he he has handled this, Keith, about as poorly as you possibly could. Um, if he had just said, "Look, I don't know how that got into my system. I don't take drugs," but it is what it is. I'll take whatever punishment's coming to me, and then I'm going to try to get my career back on track and and prove to people that I am a clean athlete. He probably could have at least started the process of putting this behind him, but he has just continued to stay out there and say I didn't do anything, and science will set me free, and everybody knows that I'm gonna I'm I'm fine. It's just it's wild. Like he's becoming one of those crazy criminals. Like he's. To put it into modern-day political sphere, he's like the George Santos of boxing at this point. Like he's just—he's just making stuff up. That might be a little strong, but I've been a, a new. But you know what I mean? Like it's George like Santos every like, day. But um, but yeah, I've got the. How many times have you heard Keith and in, in like like I've got the evidence and I'm going to show it and never, never, right. sh- it's never gets shown ever. And he keeps saying odd things like the testing is, has proven to be wrong, and but there's no. He provides no evidence. I, 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 like you said, he's handled this poorly. I, you know, I don't know what his punishment ultimately is going to be, but let just let him take that punishment and then fight whenever he's allowed to fight. He will be allowed to fight. I mean, uh, Jarrell Miller's fighting, right? There's not a bigger cheater in the history of boxing than Jarrell Miller, and he's going to he's fought. So, so eventually, whether however long his suspension might be or whatever. Uh, he's still relatively young, so or he is he's young, so he'll be able to come back from it, and uh, hopefully he learned his lesson. He's not admitting to anything, of course. And I, look, I, I don't know why he's going about it in the way that he is, but uh, he's been advised poorly, I guess I would say. Yeah, Eddie Hearn says he's going to fight in the spring. I'm very curious to see where he fights in the spring, if he fights in the spring, because I can't imagine that you know four or five months after this positive test that the British boxing board of control is going to license him. Similarly, I don't see a credible state in the U S 
licensing him. You may have to go and use, you know, may have to go to Saudi Arabia, frankly, or to some other country in the Middle East to get him uh, back into the ring. And, and even that presents problems if you're kind of going around, you know, some of these, um, some of these uh, boards of control, some of these commissions. So I don't know how this all all plays out. I mean, I I have a hard time believing we're going to see him back in the ring in the spring or even in the first half of 2023. That's just my my gut feeling on this. Um, a big fight that was. Uh, revealed this week uh, over at Boxing Scene. Stephen Fulton, Naoya Inoue, 122 pounds, unified championship fight. That is happening over in Japan. Um, I, I say it's happening, Keith, but I mean, how how sure are we? A fight like this, of this magnitude, a kind of fight we don't get a lot in boxing, how sure are we that this fight is going to take place? Well, I've been told that the contracts have been exchanged. Uh, that that happened yesterday, I believe. Um, and my coworker, you know, Jake Donovan's been on top of this story. Um, you know, the contracts were exchanged yesterday. It, it is happening. And credit to Stephen Fulton, who was for a while looking like he was going to go into a rematch with Brandon Figueroa, which is a fight people wanted to see again. Their first fight was was one of the best action fights of 2021. There was some controversy. You know, I I thought. Fulton won the fight, but there was some controversy regarding the scoring. It's a fight people wanted to see again. It's not a mega fight or anything like that, but it's a very good fight. People wanted to see it. It would have happened at 126 this time. Um, but Fulton, to I, I can't give Stephen Fulton enough credit for doing what he's doing because the safer thing to do would have been to fight Figueroa again. Now, of course, that's a fight he could have lost. The first fight was very competitive. Um and he would have been paid well for it, but he's going to be paid a lot of money, but he's going over to Japan. Now, yes, Inouye is moving up from 118 to 122. That's Stephen Fulton's weight class. Um, but he's one of the biggest punchers in boxing. He's widely regarded as one of the two or three best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world for the last four or five years. He's fighting him in Japan. Everything is stacked. He's fighting a puncher who's considered one of the best fighters on earth. In Japan, the, the deck is stacked completely against Stephen Fulton. He said, I don't care. This is who I'm fighting. Go make it happen. And for the people who are constantly criticizing the PBC or Al Heyman for protecting his fighters or not working with other promoters, yeah, they did not – well, Stephen Fulton primarily deserves the most credit because he mm – -hmm. yes, I know behind the scenes, he pushed for this fight to happen. He didn't want to ultimately – did not want to hear about any other fights. He wanted this fight. He knows it's a mega fight. It was a sacrifice on the side of PBC, and they had to let their fighter go do what he really wanted. Um, but the fight is you know, going to be streamed probably on ESPN Plus in the United States. It's not going to be on Showtime, which has televised a lot of Fulton's fights in the last few years. Um, it, it takes them off the hook financially some, you know, to some degree because they don't have to pay for the fight. But in a way, such a huge star over there, does such big gates and has you know huge television and streaming deals over there. But but again, I just go back to I, I can't commend Stephen Fulton enough for doing what he's doing here. I I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I I expected in a way to go for a big fight in his first fight at 122. I, I just always kind of guessed it would be MJ Akwadaliev. Um, Akhmadaliev is dealing with an injury or coming off an injury. He's also got like 97 uh, mandatories that he's got to deal with uh, to keep his titles. But I, I just kind of assumed because Akhmadaliev really has no fan base and has no network necessarily full-throated behind him 
that he would be the guy to go over to Japan. When this was first reported, I was shocked. I, I was shocked. Not just that Stephen Fulton was going to do this fight, but because, like you said, he was going to go to Japan. He was going to do it on a different network. He is going into hostile territory there. He's going to make a lot of money to do it. Like, he'll, he'll get paid uh, for this fight. But to do something like this, you just don't see it enough enough in boxing. And this is the kind of fight, Keith. I don't know how you feel about this. Like, I tweeted something like this out on, on Thursday that very you don't see too much of a shakeup in the pound-for-pound pound rankings too often. It usually takes like a Bevel-Canelo-level event to really change the pound-for-pound pound rankings. This fight, I think, is going to do it. Because if Inouye wins and beats Stephen Fulton in his first fight at 122, he is going to have a compelling case to be the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in all of boxing. If Fulton wins, I don't have him in my top 10 right now. He's kind of in that 10 to 15 range on my list. But if he wins, not only do I think he's top 10, I think he's top five. Like, you beat a legitimate top five pound-for-pound pound guy and you're undefeated, and you're you're fighting, um, you know, on enemy territory. You deserve that kind of bump in these pound for pound rankings. And and one thing about Stephen Fulton, like a lot of guys say they want all the smoke. Like Stephen Fulton really seems to be that guy. I mean, look at some of the fighters he's faced. The number of undefeated fighters he's faced. You know, a couple of fights ago for the world title, Angelo Leo undefeated. He fights Brandon Figueroa undefeated at that time. And now he's going to go over and take on maybe pound for pound the biggest puncher in all of boxing in Japan. It is, you know, I just like want to clap. Like, bravo, Stephen Fulton, for doing this. Because, I, look, win or lose, I, I get he's going to gain something out of this from me. Like, he loses. He goes up, goes up to 126. I don't think he loses much in, in terms of status. Uh, he wins. All of a sudden, he's a big deal uh, with a chance to make a lot more money down the line. Right, and, and even and even if he loses, as you said, Chris, he comes back to PBC, and the Figueroa fight is still there for him. Yeah, um, you know he can, uh, you know he can fight Figueroa again at one twenty six. That's a that's a fight that people want to see. There, there are plenty of options for him in the PBC universe if he loses the fight. Now, if he wins the fight, his whole career changes, his whole life changes. You know, so. Um, yeah, again, you know, I, I know we're just repeating ourselves here, but I, I, but because it's so uncommon based on what he's doing, particularly for a PBC fighter, to leave the PBC universe for this fight on a different network in a different country against a murderous puncher, I, I, I mean, wow, you know? So, you know, kudos to him. It's going to be a very tough fight for him to win because he's not a big puncher and he's a great boxer and he, he's a tough guy. He's a Philly guy. He's a tough guy. Mm -hmm. Has a world of confidence. But it's a very difficult fight, even though in a way is moving up four pounds from one eighteen to one twenty two. So, um, you know, very much looking forward to that fight. Whether it's you know six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, whatever it might be, oh. uh, just an excellent, excellent fight. And and hopefully. With him doing what he's doing, with Gervonta Davis saying, I'm fighting Ryan Garcia, I don't care what anyone else wants, you know, and, and fighting what was not an easy fight against Hector Luis Garcia as what was supposed, you know, a, a tune-up per se, um, you know, maybe this will inspire some of the other PBC fighters to do things uh, outside of the realm of what mostly has been done over the last few years. Yeah, PBC or, or any uh, yeah. fighter you know, if, if you if there's a fight you want you've got power 
Like, you can push for it. Look what Stephen Fulton just did. Look what Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia just did. Like, it can be done. There can be cross-promotional events that that can get done. Uh, real quick, do you have any reaction to uh, Adrian Broner versus Hank Lundy on pay-per-view in February? Replacing Ivan Redcatch. Do you have any reaction to... Uh, are you more excited about that or Gidry Stavern? I'll put it that way. <laughs> Well, it looks like Gidry Stavern is going to happen. I'm still not convinced Broner and Hank Lundy is going. I, I, how are they selling tickets to that? Who's? I don't know. I, I, jeez, there's so many things working against them there. Uh, good luck. I like, and I, I know you've you've probably got you know being in the Philly area, you've you've met Hank Lundy a bunch of times. I like Hank Lundy a lot. Like he is a really like yeah, Hammer and Hank. He's um, Hammer. Hank. I saw him. I went down to do a story on Broner in Colorado before. Uh, his fight against Marcos Maidana and Hank Lundy was his sparring partner for that fight. And it was the most bizarre sparring session I've ever seen because Mike Stafford, the trainer for Adrian Broner, just let them do like 18 minute rounds. So all they're doing in the ring is like wailing away at each other and talking shit the entire time. He's like, yeah, yeah. I hooked up with your girl. I hooked up with your girl. I hooked up with your mom. Hooked up with your mom. It was like, it was wild watching those two kind of go back and forth. So, you know, th- there'll definitely be some trash talk before the fight. But, you know, Hank Lundy's lost like, what, three fights or something in a row, four out of five, something like that. And Broner, yeah. I'm not, I'm not defending the fight now. I'm not supporting it in any way. But uh, he actually gave Jose Zapata a tougher fight than people realize when it was two, I think it was two fights before Zapata fought uh, Regis Progray. But it was Zapata's first fight after the Baranchik fight, which was a knockdown, drag-out fight year. And I wondered, was it a reflection of Zapata not having anything left or or Hank Lundy having more left than people realized? But again, putting that on pay-per-view is, is just nuts. And I don't know that it's going to happen for a variety of reasons. First, I know Broner's training. Well, he trained. He, he put in an entire training camp and then... The Sunday or Monday, but I think it was the Monday of fight week, withdrew from the fight against uh, against Omar Figueroa Jr. five months ago, and he pulled and he said he wasn't in the right headspace to. I, I mean, there's so many things working against this that may lead to it not happening, and let's just hope it doesn't. Honestly, because yeah, I saw you mentioned the Zapata fight. I saw Lundy fight Alex Martin in Texas. That was on. Uh, an undercard and he was not competitive in that fight. And Alex Martin's kind of a fringy guy who fought Michael McKinson yeah. a couple fights before that. It, it was, you know, th- that's fresh in my mind. And he lost another fight after that to another kind of lesser tier guy. So I, I'm not expecting a ton in this fight from Hank Lundy. I guess my, my bigger issue is like, what, what do you, if you're BLK prime and you're paying Adrian Broner a bunch of money and you're going to pay Hank Lundy a little bit of money, like what's the plan? Somebody please outline the plan for me. Tell me how this works. If Broner's out there saying they're going to let me fight anybody, you know, over the next year, like, how does this work? I, I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's boxing. So we see stuff like this happen periodically, but like, this is the, the boxing equivalent of lighting money on fire. I just don't, I don't understand the, the strategy with, with these types of events. I just don't. The strategy would, would, would appear to be losing money. Isn't it? Yes. If that's the strategy, it is an excellent one. Excellent one at this point. Uh, Keith, you enjoy Gidry Stavern on Saturday night. I know you'll be ringside in Florida. You're in your hotel room right now. <laughs> one second of it. 
Uh, yeah. Good stuff. 20 bucks. <laughs> Keith, appreciate it, man. Good to talk to you. Same here, Chris. Take care. When we come back, my conversation with Daniel Cormier. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Well, if you've been watching the NFL playoffs from the sidelines, there's still time to get in the game with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers bet this Sunday's conference championship games with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. I am going to be watching Bills Bengals this weekend. Josh Allen versus Joe Burrows. I love a good matchup of quarterbacks. Haven't decided which way I'm going on that one, but uh, I'm definitely going to bet on it. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet 
to get $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, with promo code BOXING. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, here we go again. It feels like every few years we see a top-level MMA fighter, a popular MMA fighter, believe he can make it in boxing. Uh, a few years ago, it was Conor McGregor. The last couple of years, we have seen Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley get into the ring. Now we have Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou is the former UFC heavyweight champion. He has been released from any UFC contractual obligations, uh, this according to Dana White. He is free and clear to sign with any promotional entity that he wants, be it Bellator, PFL, someplace overseas. Uh, but Naganu, he seems interested in getting into boxing and following a number of elite MMA guys down that path. To talk about that, I want to bring in Daniel Cormier, the two-division former UFC world champion. He is a UFC broadcaster. His podcast, DC MMA, and his YouTube page are available on the Volume Sports Network. DC, good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to get your perspective on this because you've followed Francis Naganu for the entirety of his UFC career. Uh, Naganu clearly seems motivated to get into boxing. Uh, here's what he said on Tuesday during an appearance with Ariel Hawani. What is your prediction? I think everyone wants to know, all right, because when you fight, it's going to be the uh, one of the biggest stories of the year. What is your gut saying? Like, are you, do you think we see France going to compete in anything? July, June, May? What are you, what are you feeling at this point? Um, hopefully, somewhere, somewhere, late, the latest will be July. I would say so. Okay. Um, hopefully, so at least twice a year, twice this year. Okay. And what 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 is yeah. your gut telling you? Leaning boxing or MMA in this fight before July? What are you thinking? My gut, I would say boxing. Boxing, okay, and a pro boxing bout. Yeah, yeah, pro boxing. Wow, um, but pro, pro boxing. And do you know where? I really, I really want to feel that. No, yet. Okay, and you don't know with who? But I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna find out. I'm working on it. I'm on it right now. Okay. So let's jump right in. What do you make of Francis Naganu looking to get into boxing? I think that it's interesting because he's got so much power and obviously he has that that intrigue of being a UFC heavyweight champion, right? You've seen him knock people out in so many different ways and you wonder aloud if that power translates to the boxing ring. Obviously, he is going to be wearing much bigger gloves. He wears 10-ounce gloves as a heavyweight boxer opposed to four-ounce gloves that we wear in the UFC. So there's a lot of intrigue in regards to him making a jump. But what makes it more interesting for me is that he is he is going into the U.S., going into boxing. He's going into boxing, but with uh, the belt and also big-name opponents already on the radar. Because generally a guy with that level of experience in boxing would not be talking about Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. They would be talking about guys more on the club level. This guy's talking about world champions that's only due to the fact that he was a world champion in the UFC. So as I mentioned at the top, we have seen this story before. We have seen former UFC fighters get into boxing, whether it is McGregor or Woodley or anybody else 
that has tried to make that leap, and it hasn't been successful. Quite frankly, it's been pretty bad, the end results. Uh, knockout for Conor McGregor. Knockout uh, for Tyron Woodley in his last fight against Jake Paul. Is there anything about Francis Ngannou, about his skill set, the way that he fights, that makes you believe he will be more successful than others when getting into boxing? Not necessarily, you know, man. Because see, here's the deal. He's a bit wild, um, but he possesses such power that it's the ultimate equalizer, right? Even in the Cyril Gunn fight you saw the last time, he was getting beat in the striking. He ended up pivoting and using his wrestling. But to me, and it would be less skill, but it's Deontay Wilder, right? Wilder is a guy that has a ton of power, but he does a lot of things technically not the right way. But if he can hit you, he can put you out. We saw him get outclassed by Tyson Fury uh, up until getting those knockdowns at the end of the fight, salvaging the fight the way he did. Second fight, he got outclassed and lost in the way that he lost. And the last time they fought, he lost, but he fought valiantly in regards to landing. Even though they come from odd angles, that's Francis. Francis will hit you from different angles, and because he possesses all that power, he can hurt you. But to me, he's no fury. He's no, like, pugilistic specialist. He's a guy that has big power, and if he lands, he can hurt you. If you were advising him, what would you tell him about going into boxing? I think the biggest fight right now, right? Because another party said today he turned away an $8 million contract for the fight in the UFC. So obviously in boxing, he's getting a bigger payday. But the big payday only comes when you're standing across from the biggest, most dangerous guy in the world. They're not going to pay him $10 million to fight uh, some random guy. They're going to pay him $10 million to fight uh, Deontay Wilder, to fight uh, uh, Tyson Fury, or those guys at that level because they bring in the eyeballs and the intrigue of the fight. So take the biggest fight right now. Do you think there's any risk to him doing that? Not just in in the fight, because, look, Francis Ngannou is a phenomenal MMA fighter, but if he goes up against Tyson Fury, that is going to end horribly for him. It just is. He's going to get – I think Tyson toys with him, and I think he eventually stops him. It's not disrespectful, I don't think, to say that, because if Tyson Fury ever stepped into the cage – he would get worked over equally as bad. It's just, it's a different, it's a different type of combat sport. So, like for Naganu, like if he does that, let's say in July with Tyson Fury maybe reigning as the undisputed heavyweight champion, is there a downside for him as far as the rest of his career goes? You know what's the crazy, the, the, the craziest thing about Francis's situation is that if Francis goes out there and fights Tyson Fury, gets knocked out, makes fifteen twenty million dollars, there are still so many organizations that would line up to have him fight in their heavyweight division. MMA organizations, right? He can fight Bellator. He can fight the PFL. He can fight in Russia. He can fight 1FC. Bare knuckle boxing is obviously an option. There are so many options for him, and I don't know if he's limited to one fight. He may have one big fight, but then he may have some other boxing fights that he could potentially win. But I think it's uh, you got to cash in right now, man. Because you did it for a reason. And that reason had to be to go fight one of the best boxers in the world. You know, one of my theories, DC, is that it would might benefit Naganu to go into another high-level MMA fight just to kind of reestablish his name, his credentials. Because he was white hot last January. He's still very well known, as we, as we see with all the, the talk about him over the last you know couple of days. But... I think some of the uh, the buzz has gone off him a little bit. I think it might behoove him 
to step into the PFL or Bellator or one of these other uh, MMA entities and fight. But I guess the question would be, is it too big a risk for him to do that? Like, how risky is it for a guy like Naganu to face one of the other top fighters in the other combats, uh, mixed martial arts entities? I just think that if he was going to fight MMA, it was going to be in the UFC, right? You don't leave the UFC to fight MMA somewhere else. I think, and so I don't, and even if he did, there's not much risk in heavyweights around the world beating him outside of the best guys in the world. Here's where the risk for me is in Francis's situation. Going and fighting some boxing dude that isn't the best in the world and losing to them. And then you lose out on the massive payday. That's where the danger is. The danger in him fighting another MMA organization is very, very small. He's going to beat the vast majority of heavyweights in the world in a mixed martial arts competition. But I think that, as you've seen the last couple of days, maybe his name isn't ringing bells for what he did inside the octagon, but the stance that he's taken on everything uh, is, is making him still uh, very important to the, the landscape of mixed martial arts and now combat sports in general. Yeah, I, I think it's a terrible idea to go fight like Otto Valin or, you know, Luis Ortiz. Like, you don't you don't run the risk yeah, of one why? of those guys. Why? Yeah, there, there's no upside to, to doing that. And I think everybody's kind of on the same page. And look, Fury, I think he'd run to that fight in the summertime. Like, if Fury winds up beating Usyk, the last thing Fury wants to do after yeah. that is fight Deontay Wilder for the fourth like time. That. Like, yeah, he, for sure. he doesn't want to do that. He wants the 80000 in Wembley and to make $30 million in a fight that yeah. presents virtually – no like, risk to him. Minimal so, risk. Yeah, minimal yeah. risk. Minimal risk. So, let me ask you one other thing. Uh, in your mind, does it diminish MMA fighters to have, you know, all this kind of keep happening, whether it's McGregor, Woodley, maybe Nagano, go into boxing and really just not be competitive in these fights? Is, is there a downside to MMA? I just think that – I just think that I, – I, I don't necessarily know because everybody goes into these fights with the understanding that these guys are up against it. Right. So it's 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 not as if MMA guys like myself and the, the pundits are saying Francis and is going to go and beat Tyson Fury. You understand what it is. So when the result happens, if it happens in that way, it's kind of what was expected. But what happens if he wins? Then the whole world is on its axis. Right. So I think Tyron Woodley getting stopped the way that when you're losing the YouTubers, that's a problem. But when you're losing the guys like Floyd Mayweather and, and, and Tyson Fury, isn't it crazy, though, that Francis and Connor worked themselves to be so valuable that in their pro debuts, they fought those guys? That's where, the, that's where the credit sits, right? In those guys building such a resume or having so much surrounding them that they get those level of fights in fight number one. I remember watching Connor walk to the ring to fight Floyd, and I thought to myself, wow, he actually did it. Regardless of what happens, he actually, like, he willed a fight against Floyd Mayweather into existence. And I feel the same way about Francis Ngannou. He did, and, and boxers love the passion of MMA fans because even if there's, like, a 1% chance that their guy can it. win, MMA it. fans will throw 80 bucks down on the table That's and they will I buy said, oh. that friggin' fight. No questions I asked. was literally <laughs> sitting there going, oh, my God, the left hand's going to land on Floyd. <laughs> no, like, my best mind told me, my best mind's telling me, I've watched Floyd Mayweather beat the best boxers in the world. But the whole time, every, you know, MMA fans, we say this, the, every fight starts on the feet, right? So, like, you can take them down later, but, I'm thinking every fight starts with Connor getting off the stool and he's going to knock off Floyd Mayweather. 
And then slowly you start to lose hope and realize he was never going to knock out Floyd Mayweather, you know, but it is what it is. You know, like we're thick, we're very fickle. It's and amazing. we're very like gullible. It's yeah, amazing. It, it's amazing. Uh, Daniel Cormier, check out his podcast on the YouTube page at DC MMA. Good to talk to you, DC. Appreciate your time, man. My man, thank you. Off to Brazil. You guys tune in to UFC 283 this weekend. All right? Peace. When we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. Time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. I am 2-0 in 2023. Wasn't that hard, but I gave you Javante Davis by knockout. I even put a little money on Hector Luis Garcia a couple of weeks ago. It was worth it. It was worth it. For like six rounds, I was kind of tantalized by the possibility that he could win. But he didn't uh, put most of my money on Javante by knockout, and that was uh, the right thing to do. This week, the big fight is over in the UK. Chris Eubank Jr., Liam Smith, 160 pounds. Uh, Eubank Jr. is the favorite, minus 260. Liam Smith, almost a 2-1 to underdog at plus 198. I like Eubank Jr. in this fight, and that's tough to say because Eubank Jr. can be Ugh, just so smarmy sometimes. But the key to this fight to me is the weight. At 154, Liam Smith is really good. He's not a journeyman. His level above journeyman, he beats a lot of journeymen. So at 154 against like an Anthony Fowler, at 154 against a Jesse Vargas, Liam Smith is good. Liam Smith can win. At 160, I just think that's too high a weight class for him to successfully fight his style against someone the talent level of Chris Eubank Jr. He's just not going to be able to bully him in the ring. And if he tries, Eubank's going to be as big or bigger. He's going to have good counters. Uh, I think Chris Eubank Jr. is going to win this fight. Uh, method of victory. Eubank Jr. by decision is at plus 110. That's the bet I like as well. Eubank has a tendency to kind of showboat in the later rounds of fights. So if he's up, I think he's going to try to pick Liam Smith apart. Maybe have a little bit of fun in the ring. Try to do a little bit of the Roy Jones, as Roy Jones is his trainer. Uh, so I, I like Chris Eubank Jr. by decision. So Chris Eubank Jr. to win, minus 260. You're going to have to bet big to make some money there. Chris Eubank by points or decision, plus 110. That's where you can make a little bit of cash as well. Those are my picks, brought to you by FanDuel. Well, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eideck and Daniel Cormier for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.